Stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We're going to read verses 23 through 26 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 began reading with verse number 23. The apostle Paul writes and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, we just thank you for your incredible and your infallible, your powerful, your miracle working word. God, I just pray today, Lord, that your, your special anointing, Lord, will rest upon the message and upon the messenger today, but also upon those that would receive the word today. And God, I pray that people will embrace the word this morning, and not only will they, will they hear it, but they will, will put into practice, Lord, that which they receive today. All of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You can be reseated this morning. Well, for those of you that were not here last Sunday, I want to repeat something that I said. Some time ago, I, I felt impressed of the Lord to start serving communion here every Sunday. Well, obviously, I failed to start doing this, and, and the impression went away. Recently, someone came to my office and sat down and shared with me that, that, that they felt like the Lord had impressed upon them that we should consider having communion here every Sunday. Second verse, same as the first. So, 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 so I, I, think, I think like this, if I ignore the Lord again, he might take a two before and hit me upside the head with it. So guess what? We are going to be observing the Lord's Supper around here every Sunday. Now, I don't know if this is a is, is permanent. I don't know if this is for a season. I'm not for sure about that. But, but for now, we are going to break bread together every single Sunday. In our scripture for today, Paul recounts the story of the Last Supper, where Jesus instituted the ordinance of what we now call communion. And twice, Paul uses the same phrase, in remembrance of me. Twice, Paul says that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What two things did Jesus instruct us to remember? Well, first of all, he said to remember his body. Remember his body. Verse 23 and 24 says that, that, that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take this and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
When partaking of the Lord's Supper, we need to literally look at the bread. And while we're looking at the bread, we need to think about the body of our Lord and how it was brutally abused in the process of him purchasing our salvation and paying the price for our healing. I want to suggest two things about our Lord's body this morning. First of all, it was thrashed. It was thrashed. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5 said he was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And John chapter 19 and verse number 1 says Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Jesus was beaten on the whipping post with a whip that, that, that had several leather straps. And at the end of each leather strap were jagged pieces of iron and bone. We're told that, that two men usually whipped the victim, one lashing the victim from, lashing the victim from one side and, and one from the other. And there it goes, one lash, two lashes, three lashes, ten lashes, twelve lashes, fourteen lashes. It began by by making red marks on, on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, then welts began to appear, and, and then the pieces of, of iron and bone would begin to penetrate the skin, and, and literal chunks of flesh would begin to, to be torn from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that veins and arteries and sometimes even inner organs would, would, would now be exposed. 20 lashes, 25 lashes, 30 lashes. Roman law set the limit of, of lashes at 39 lashes. They did because it was said that 40 lashes would bring a man to death. And so they would bring a man to the very brink of death. And then they would not kill him, but rather they would make him suffer something far worse than death. And that is indescribable pain. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to to look at the bread before we eat it. And we need to remember our Lord's body, his body that was thrashed at the whipping post. His pain was our gain. I don't know, but it has been said that, that there were 39 original diseases. That every disease known to man originated from one of these 39 diseases. Listen, listen, if that be so, then that means that Jesus took a lash for every single disease. That means that no matter what the disease is, no matter what you are afflicted with today, it doesn't matter. Jesus has taken a lash for that that disease or for that affliction. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, and with his stripes we are healed. We're remembering his body right now. Not only was it thrashed, but it was, it was tortured. Isaiah 52 and 14 says, but many were amazed when they saw him. Speaking of Jesus, many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was even a man. The cross and 
And the crucifixion was just one of many places where where the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was tortured. Actually, there was a trail of blood that began at Gethsemane and lasted through the cross. And the torture was not merely physical torture. Oh, oh! I ask you this morning, can you even imagine the, the mental torture? Can you imagine the emotional and the spiritual torture that Jesus our Lord had to endure? Most of this torture was experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus went to pray, where Jesus went to prepare himself for the cross. Jesus knowing that, that imminently he would be called to the cross, that, that, that not long and he would have to go to the cross. And so Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets along with his Father. Jesus goes there to prepare himself for what's ahead, and that is the cross. Jesus, fully aware of the torture that was awaiting him. Even greater than the physical torture of the cross was the unimaginable torture of the cup. Oh, we hear so many sermons about the cross, and and we should hear sermons about the cross. But I want to tell you, friend, that not only was, was what Jesus did, not only was it about the cross, but it was also about the cup. The cup of Gethsemane that Jesus would have to drink. Jesus was, was dreading the cup even more than he was dreading the cross. Luke chapter 22 verse 44 says, And Jesus being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. If you'll fast forward to the cross, you'll find that Jesus did not sweat drops of blood on the cross. It was only in Gethsemane. Jesus, Jesus uh, dreaded the cup even more than he dreaded the cross. You say, Pastor, what was in this cup that would cause Jesus such, such mental and emotional torture that, that literally blood would begin to ooze out of the pores of his skin? What was that cup of Gethsemane? What was in that cup? Well, I would suggest to you that it was much, much more than just his, his dread of the physical pain uh, that, that would be inflicted upon him on the cross. No, no, the cup that Jesus would have to drink would represent the sin of man. The sin of man. In this cup would be every sin that man would ever commit from every age, past, present, and future. Somehow, miraculously, God would, God would gather up every sin that man ever had committed or ever would commit, and God somehow miraculously put them in the cup that Jesus would have to I suggest that it was beyond all human imagination in both quality and quantity. I suggest that in that cup was every evil, lewd, degrading, oh, vile, wicked, vulgar, brutal, selfish act of man. Every perversion, every crooked deed, every evil thought, every twisted fantasy, every list, every sin from Adam until today, and then from today until the end of time, all of them, every single one of them, were somehow miraculously placed in the cup that Jesus would have to drink. 
No wonder it produced such horrific torture for Jesus. No wonder he cried out to his heavenly father for three long hours he cried. In agony he cried, oh father if there's any other way than this, let this cup. Oh if I just, if I just don't have to drink the cup, if there's any way that I can escape the cup. No wonder this torture wrecked his body to the point that he began to literally sweat blood. This was only the beginning of the torture his body would have to endure. We've already talked about the beating that he took upon the whipping post to purchase our healing. Hey, don't forget about the crown that was made out of thorns that was placed upon his head. And then they would take a stick and they would drive it down into the skull of Jesus until the blood began to run down his face. And then they would hit him in the face with this stick. Oh, they blindfolded him and twirled him around and took turns slapping him and saying, prophesy, you're supposed to be a prophet. Tell us who it is that slapped you. And then the agony of the cross. Crucifixion was more than just an execution. Crucifixion was a cleverly devised method of unmatched torture. A medical doctor made the attempt of describing the crucifixion. Let me read to you what he writes. What is crucifixion? A medical doctor provides a physical description. He says the cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. It drops into the hole with a thud. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe, Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. 
Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through its tissues. And finally, he can allow his body to die. Today, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we, when we look at the wafer which represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we look at it with fresh eyes today. May we partake of it this morning in remembrance of Him, remembering His body which is broken for you and for me. Not only do I want us to remember His body today, but Jesus also said to remember His blood. Remember his blood. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. I want to suggest four things about the blood of Jesus that was poured out on Calvary's cross. First of all, I want to suggest that it was promising blood. Promising blood. In Hebrews chapter 10, the promise is given that what the animal sacrifices could not accomplish in the old covenant, that the sacrifice of God's Son on the cross could accomplish. What the sacrificial blood of bulls and goats could not do, the sacrificial blood of the Lamb of God, God's Son, Jesus Christ, absolutely could This morning, as we remember the blood of Jesus, we need to remember that it is promising blood. Three things were promised through the blood of Jesus this morning. First of all, we're promised salvation. The promise of salvation, Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25 says, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God. Oh, don't you love that? The Bible says people are made right with God. How can people be made right with God? It says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. There are two requirements for salvation. The first requirement is the blood of Jesus. What the blood of bulls and goats could not provide, the blood of Jesus Christ can. But the blood of Jesus Christ alone is not enough for salvation. The second requirement for salvation is our faith in that blood. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ, but it takes our faith. In that blood. The old hymn writer of the church past wrote it correctly. Oh, when he wrote, what can wash away my sin? He answered it, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? He answered, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Notice another promise of the blood, and that is sanctification. We don't hear that word in the church very much anymore. A synonym of this word sanctification is the word holy. Holy. I ask you this morning, how? How could such unholy people like you and like me, how could we ever become holy? And the answer is only one way, and that is through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 13 and 12, Jesus suffered and died to make his people holy. Holy, watch this, by means of his own blood. See, without Christ's blood, we are unholy. With his blood, we become holy. The blood of Jesus Christ, in essence, covers up our unholiness. Not only does Christ's blood promise us salvation and sanctification, but also Security. Oh, we don't hear much about that in a Pentecostal church, that's for sure. Uh, Listen, listen, although I do not believe in unconditional eternal security, but I want you also to know I don't believe in eternal insecurity either. I had eternal insecurity my whole life growing up in the church. The only one that would beat me to the altar on Sunday night was the deacon's kid sitting right there. (laughs) No, I don't believe in absolute, unconditional, eternal security, but I don't believe in eternal insecurity either. Listen, here's what I believe. I believe that as long as our faith is placed in the blood of Jesus Christ for our salvation, we are made secure through his blood. I'm not secure because I'm perfect. I'm not secure because I'm good. I'm not secure because I'm a preacher. I'm only secure today, amen, because I have placed my faith, my trust, my hope, my confidence for my salvation. Salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ. Pastor, do you have any scripture for that? I just happen to have. Hebrews 9 and 12 says, With his own blood, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all and secured. He did what? He secured and secured our redemption forever. How long? Oh, when we partake of the cup of communion today, let us remember his blood. It was promising blood. The blood of Jesus promises us salvation. It promises us sanctification. And it promises us security. But not only was it promising blood, it was purchasing blood. Purchasing blood. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says the the church was purchased with his own blood. Blood. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For you know that God paid a ransom. He paid what? You know God paid a ransom to save you. And the ransom he paid was not merely silver or gold. It was the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Uh, I suggest to you this morning that blood was the currency of salvation. Oh, our good works, our good deeds could never purchase our salvation. Only blood, only blood, precious blood, pure blood, powerful blood, only the perfect blood of God's only Son oh, would be valuable enough to purchase our salvation. Not only was his blood promising blood, it was not only purchasing blood, it was purifying blood. 
Uh, purifying blood. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 1 and 7 says, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Although man cannot purify himself, he can become pure through the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, if Christ's blood was pure, then that means it purifies. I remember years ago, I I Googled it. Actually, it's still, can you believe your pastor just said that? I I Googled it. (laughs) If you don't know me, you don't know what I'm talking about, but... My five-year-old granddaughter Googles, but, you know, anyway. There's a laundry detergent called Shout, and it's still available. But I remember as a kid, the advertising slogan that they used was, to get tough stains out, shout it out. But it didn't work. I tried it, it didn't work. I remember one day I had the dirtiest shirt in the hamper, and I... I picked that dirty shirt up, and I looked up, and I said, Get out of my shirt, you ugly stain! <laughs> it said to get tough stains out, shout it out. It. Never worked. Never worked. Oh, listen, when Jesus applies his blood to our sin, he shouts to our sin, Come out of my people, you ugly stain of sin. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them as white as I challenge you this morning when, when you look at the cup, oh, I challenge you to remember the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only is it, was it promising blood and pur- purchasing blood and purifying blood, but, but I want to submit to you this morning it was protecting blood. Protecting blood. In Exodus chapter 12, it talks about the Passover. The Bible says that God told the children of Israel that he was going to judge Egypt for their sin of worshiping false gods. and That he was going to send the death angel throughout all of Egypt. And the firstborn son of all of the Egyptians were going to be killed. As a judgment of God. God told the children of Israel they could be protected from God's wrath. That if they would go out and take a, a goat or a, or a spotless lamb and, 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 and sacrifice that, and then if they would take the blood of that spotless lamb and if they would place it over the doorpost of their house, that when the angel, when the death angel passed over, when he would see the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, that he would pass over and that family would be protected. This 
was a type of Christ's blood that would be the only thing that would protect man from the, from the wrath and the judgment of a, of, a, of a perfect and a pure God that would be poured out upon sin and sinners. Oh, when we remember the blood of Jesus, we need to remember that it is, that it is protecting blood. Ah, oh, it's protecting blood. And I want to submit that it protects us from two things. First of all, it protects us from Satan's possession. You see, without the blood of Jesus, we are in the hands of Satan. But with the blood of Jesus, we are protected from the enemy. John 10 and 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them away from Not only does Christ's blood protect us from Satan's possession, but also from sin's penalty. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages or the payment of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ's blood is protecting blood. Medical science tells us that that you can prove or disprove who a child's biological father is by comparing the blood of the child to the blood of the father. A man can emphatically declare that he is or that he is not the child's father, but the blood test will prove it. Christ's blood is protecting blood. And when the enemy of our soul, when Satan tries to say that we belong to him, God says, let's do a blood test. If the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, flows through them, they are mine. I could get some help on the platform this morning. The Lord's Supper... Is a time of remembrance. Do this. Jesus said do this in remembrance of me. In verse 26, he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. He didn't say you got to do it weekly. Didn't say you have to do it daily. Didn't say you have to do it monthly. Didn't say you have to do it yearly. He just said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't know how long it'll be, but I, at least for a season, I believe the Lord wants us. And some of us that have been in church our entire life, And we've heard the gospel so long, we become hardened by it and unmoved by it. It's just something that we do on Sunday. I believe the Lord says, no, I want you to take some time and remember, remember me. Remember my body that was brutally Abused and broken for you. Remember my blood. There was a stream of blood that started in the Garden of Gethsemane 
betrayal lasted until it poured down the cross on Golgotha's hill. In remembrance of me, Maybe you're here this morning, you don't even know if God even loves you or not. You look at your life, you look at your circumstances, you look at your situation. You say, surely if God loved me, he'd do better by me. How can we say that? How can we ever say that when we we remember his body, when we remember his blood, when we remember the price? Listen, I don't know about you. God has been so good to me. He's blessed me beyond measure. I, I thank him for 30 minutes every day. I can't even get to the rest of my prayer because I'm so grateful and so thankful. God has blessed me above and beyond anything I could ever imagine, dream, or hope for. I'm uh, listen, I don't deserve the blessing of God. I'm going to tell you, if God never blessed me with one more blessing, if God never did one more thing for me, what he did, what he did in the garden and what he did on the cross, that in and of itself is enough. The other is just icing on the cake. Do this in remembrance.